What's up, podcast? Before we kick off this episode, a big shout out of gratitude to Mr. Lee Boon Meng of PA Water Venture at Marina Bay for arranging a time and venue for this keynote speech you're about to hear. PA, or the People's Association, are on a roll with the engagement of the wider Singapore residential community. And I don't mean just citizens and PRs, but also expatriates and, vi- and visitors from abroad. With outdoor sports, including rock climbing, dragon boating, kayaking, and now, hopefully, mountain biking. Okay, onwards to the episode. Greetings, mountain bikers. This is the Raw Epics Audio Experience, a podcast about living the mountain biking life from a uniquely Singaporean perspective. I'm your host, Wilson Lowe. Uh, my name is Wilson Lowe. I'm here to deliver, uh, I would say, like an address, a presentation. Some would say it's like a keynote speech, I guess, about mountain biking, specifically discovering mountain biking. I think uh, mountain biking as a sport is something which is very, I would say, kind of there are certain perceptions about the sport. You know, and you guys being here today, I would like to, you know, share my side of the mountain biking story, you know, it will definitely be biased, you know, but the point is that I'm here to, I'm here to share some information and maybe from whatever opinions you might have about the sport, uh, the, the activity, the pastime, uh, what may seem very extreme may suddenly feel a bit more accessible as a result. Okay, so my, my objective here today is to really address not so much the people who are already mountain biking, or I don't. I know some of you in this room are already mountain. Call yourself mountain bikers. My keen interest is to talk to people who are not yet mountain bikers, who would like to pick up this sport, who would like to know more about the sport, and maybe make a decision. You know, perhaps by the end of this presentation, about where to go next with uh, this this thing, which may be very new or maybe very, may, may very unfamiliar, and, and maybe regard it as being a bit more familiar uh, by the end of this, this discussion. Okay, so the way I'm gonna do it now is I'm gonna keep it like really, really short on my slides. Okay, I'm only going to have like two, no wrong, I only, only have like six slides in total actually. All right, so I'm gonna reserve more of the content more of my presentation for question and answers. Okay, we don't have a huge group over here, which is perfect. It means that I can actually get more questions from the floor. All right, so don't don't feel intimidated by you know what seems like a lot of information to process. I think we are going to we have a really good time and we're going to jump right into it. And uh, yeah, feel free ask whatever's in your mind. So a bit a bit about me before I start. Okay, um, I've worked. I've worked in the mountain bike industry uh, legit since 2008. Okay, firstly as a as a part-time coach, I went into full-time coaching uh, shortly after that. All right, um, I specialize as I specialize in mountain bike skills instruction as well as performance coaching. Um, I do guide, so I started guiding mountain bikers overseas as well as locally in Singapore. Um, starting from about 
2017. And we have already been three years in the business. And apart from the guiding, apart from, apart from the teaching and the coaching, um, I also do some event management. Okay, so events consulting. Uh, I have been an organizer, a founder of uh, event in Singapore. I've also helped out at, uh, with the organization and running of events uh, operations-wise in Australia as well as Nepal. So when people ask me, like, Wilson, what do you, what do you really do? Right? What, what's, your, what's your role, you know, doing so many things? I, I like to tell people, like, I'm really an operator. I really enjoy, like, doing stuff. I like to be in the dirt, okay? And, and being in the dirt is what mountain biking is all about. Um, occasionally, if I have time, I try to race as well. So I think racing is, is, is my own personal validation. Um, people ask me, like, Wilson, if you do, if your work involves mountain biking, why do you race for fun on the mountain bike? You know, don't you want a break from, from, from the sport? And then my reply to them is, well, I simply, I simply love the sport, you know. So whether I'm racing or I'm organizing races or I'm just guiding or teaching people, I, I really legitimately enjoy the sport. So if you look at this center picture here, this was actually just taken yesterday, where I've actually gone into the realm where we're trying to develop a more awareness about the sport. So getting into the community is a big part of my, uh, where I see myself as. Um, this particular event over here was one where we, me and a, and a friend, we both of us, we organized a mountain bike specific first aid course. Now, I'm sure you've heard of standard first aid and, or occupational first aid. You know, uh, your employer might have sent you for first aid course, first aid training, or you might have taken it up at the com community center or at the Singapore Red Cross or whatever. Okay, so we are doing one here where it's more like an awareness course, but specific for people who are mountain bikers because we see a high incidence of, pe of, of people who, who, who get injured, who kind of mess themselves up on the trail and they want to um, they want to know how to help their fellow riders basically all right there was a joke actually i i was quite interesting like yesterday's yesterday a friend told me like hey are you, are you have a whole presentation about yesterday like a powerpoint presentation and then looking at this presentation here now please don't mix the two presentations together because if i show you the stuff from yesterday you probably be discouraged from mountain biking <laughs> so I'm showing you the positive stuff, all right? So definitely, I, that's, a, that's just a little anecdote. It's all about being positive and being in this sport. Um, my, I see my role as, to, as bringing the sport to uh, a wide range of people as much as possible. And you guys amongst them, all right? So I really want to get into, you know, I want to get a feel of what, what's the sense from you guys? You know, how do you guys regard the sport? I mean, maybe we can have a discussion about where, where you, are, you might be going on your own personal mountain bike journey. All right. So what is mountain biking? Let's, let's, look, at the mount, let's, let's look at mountain biking. Let me just turn the next slide. There. Okay, what is mountain biking? Our next slide. Simply put, point form, riding a bicycle on a non-paved surface. Okay. Um, Off-road stuff has a connotation, sometimes negative, that is dangerous. Is extreme. If you look at some of the videos that are available online, you see, you think to yourself, "Wow, I'm, I'm definitely not going to do that." Okay. And the truth is, neither am I. Okay. What you see, which is what you see, very high-profile riders and athletes do. These riders represent only a very 
small portion, they're like 0.001% of the entire riding population who can ride uh, extreme uh, terrain, you know, uh, at a very high level. Uh, for the 99.99999% of us who are riders, I consider myself amongst them, you know, we just want to have fun. You know, whether as an individual or as a group, okay, we really want to enjoy that sport, okay? Some people think like, oh, if you are riding recreationally, you're having fun, but if you take it to a competitive level, you may not necessarily be having fun again. I, I, I tend to disagree. I feel that anybody, even a complete beginner, can enter a competition, per se, and still find it fun, okay? Because competition is all about setting goals, about challenging yourself or putting yourself out of your comfort zone uh, in a safe setting. So where, where, where people get confused with mountain biking especially is that they, they, they automatically regard anything off-road or extreme sounding as unsafe, when in fact the opposite is true. You're looking at a sport where, where there have been major developments in terms of access, uh, awareness, okay, technology in terms of protective equipment, as well as technology on the bike itself. So you have a very safe experience when you're on the bike. You have a very safe experience as a user of this bike, regardless of your, your, your fitness or your ability level. Okay, and, and like I mentioned the last point, um, most of us do it for fun. Uh, in my case, I do it for work. And when I say work, I like to talk a bit more about the mountain bike industry as a whole. Uh, mountain biking has been around uh, in, in, in the world for, I would say, over 25 years. It's still a relatively young sport. I think it, it, tends, it tends to attract a younger crowd, per se. But that being said, um, we find that, and especially in my line of work, we do have people of all ages, you know, from very young, like kids are riding mountain bikes as young as four or five years old, as soon as they can start to balance on a bike. Okay? And to people who are as old as you know, in their, in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Okay, it's very interesting to keep that in mind because cycling as a mode of transport, as an activity, has been around for over, I would say, over uh, 130 years, whereas, whereas mountain biking is only a fraction of the amount of time. Okay, but in this short amount of time, it has grown a lot. All right, so I think that's really interesting to and something to take note of as we, as we go forward. You know, and if you are already a rider, show of hands, who here rides a mountain bike now? Raise your hands high. Okay. So the rest of you who haven't raised some, don't raise your hands, that means you haven't been on a mountain bike. Am I right to say that? Okay. Show, show of hands, out of those people who didn't raise their hands, who, do, who haven't ridden a mountain bike, who has a bicycle, any kind of bicycle at home now? Okay, fantastic, good, good. I think that's 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 a good that's a good gauge. So so you do understand that riding a bike is kind of something you would do. Now my job is to is to show you what's the next step potentially. Okay, I'm not disciplined bias, but I'm just saying that mountain biking as a sport, there's so much you can do, and I just have to share some insights of what I have experienced personally, and I hope that 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 can that can inspire you in some way another all right so let's go to the next slide it's when a lot of people talk about a sport and a sport being mountain biking in this case we think about oh what how can it benefit me okay something i do for fun uh, possibly competitively what are the what are the benefits the health benefits so i'll just talk about the physical the physical benefits 
I think physically, mountain biking is really an all-around sport. People think it's just something to do with your legs. You're sitting on a seat. You're just moving your legs. I, I, I disagree completely. Um, when you compare mountain biking to a very similar sport, road cycling, okay, mountain biking actually is, involves more of an upper body sport. Okay, uh, it's, most closely see, it's most clearly seen at the elite level when you talk about uh, people who race competitively or professionally. Uh, the build of the cyclist, okay, a cyclist who rides only on the road, they tend to have um, a really well-developed well, well uh, lower body, okay, but at the expense of the upper body. You know, and their, the requirements of that, that kind of racing requires them to be as light as possible. Um, the same is true, is partially true for mountain bikers, but mountain bikers tend to have a better all-round upper and lower body development. So I think physical-wise, we see that um, riders who ride off-road, they are, they were, say, more well-rounded in terms of the overall development. All right? Other factors in terms of uh, their balance and coordination, or their agility, okay, and their reaction time, it has been proven scientifically that, that mountain biking really benefits that, 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 that aspect of, of physical development. Okay? We talk about the mental benefits. I think ment mentally we, we have, we have um, uh, in the realm of sports science, mental, mental strength or mental fitness is often overlooked. And I think mountain biking is a, it's a sport as well suited to, to building that resilience. Uh, in, in a person, you know, whether they're a professional or recreational athlete. Okay, mountain biking uh, emphasizes like re resilience, the ability to overcome uh, challenges in a dynamic environment. And when I say a dynamic environment, I mean something that is not entirely within your control. Okay, when you talk about riding off-road, uh, uh, if you go past a certain section, a section that didn't have a rock, on the first lap might have a rock rollover and or a branch or a tree fall down and cover part of that part of that trail on the second lap. And, and if you think about that like happening all the time and uh, in, in in your career as a mountain biker, okay, for those who are mountain bikers, you actually never ride the exact same trail twice. Every time you visit a place, you're always visiting, you're always seeing something new, something that has changed. And, and I think mountain biking is, is, is really cool in that aspect. You you really learn to develop that mental strength. And the kind of adapt, adaptability, you know, not so much physical, but more mentally, like a can-do spirit that that uh, that may not be present in in other for other sports. Okay, I think emotionally we, we tend to also uh, not think too much about developing this aspect uh, in terms of uh, sport, but emotional-wise, I feel that mountain biking provides a big release. You know, for myself. I feel that it's it's it, it's really something that, that genuinely makes me happy. All right. Um, uh, a big part of this is actually having that uh, riding with friends who share the same passion, who 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 visit, who are interested in visiting new places, all the same places. Okay, um, with you as a sense of adventure, which I think uh, resonates very well with a lot of people who call themselves mountain bikers. Okay, um, I think mountain bikers as a whole, they do not want to just sit still. They actually like to explore. And, and mountain, the mountain bike as a tool of exploration, as a tool for exploration, is a great... Yeah, there, there, there are a few places, there, there are a few things more 
versatile than a mountain bike as a mode of transport. Okay, a, mo a mountain bike can go on the road, like you see this picture here, or it can go off-road. You know, let me, for example, instead of where the pavement is here, you can see the side, the, the verge, the, the dirt on the side. Or you can even go completely off-road, you know, potentially down the side of this hill. You know, I'm just using this, this piece of this picture as illustration. Coincidentally, this, this, this lady over here, this lady who, who's, who's riding over here and I'm following behind her, she is one of my oldest clients. Uh, this picture is taken in Nepal and she decided she wanted to ride down this road on a mountain bike. And she's, she was 82 years old when this picture was taken. So this 82 year old lady in Nepal, uh, decided that, oh, I, I think it's time to jump on the mountain bike. I said, okay, sure, let's go. So she's one of my most outstanding clients because, not, not just because of her age, but because of her, her, her sense of adventure, her gung-ho-ness, her can-do spirit, um, uh, for all these reasons which I just talked about. Okay, I think that's really cool. You know, of course, we, I also taught people who are very young and, all, and any, uh, the entire age range in between. So um, I feel very fulfilled. When I, when I see when I see somebody as old as her or as young as somebody who just learned how to ride a bike, uh, try their hand at mountain biking, which is you know for all intents and purposes uh, a very challenging but also a very uh, engaging sport. Okay, we talk about the developmental goals, developmental benefits um, for for people who are who are who are younger, especially youth, kids, people who are still growing up, people who have yet to hit full puberty. Um, they, they, they benefit from all these three things and they also learn to have, um, how I say, better coordination and better resilience. Um, I feel that a lot of young people nowadays, you, you've, you've heard the argument. How many of you here are parents? Yes, okay, fantastic. Okay, think about, think, think about your, your, your child, okay, your boy or girl, I, go, growing up, you know. Um, sitting at home, sitting at home, or, not, or, or maybe not sitting, but maybe doing something at home or doing something in an urban environment. And, and God knows we live in Singapore, a very highly urbanized environment. Okay? Is there a sport that could put, or an activity or a pastime that can remove the child, your child, even temporarily for one or two hours, a very short amount of time, temporarily from that environment and place them in something unfamiliar, something which they can challenge them on these aspects? You know, and then after that, they can come, they can go back into their urban environment, they can go back into their cocoon. I think mountain biking is such a sport. I don't think it's necessarily an expensive sport. I think it's quite accessible. And I think it's something that parent and child can do together. So I think in terms of developmental benefits for, for people who are, who want to excel in life, who want to grow, who want to advance, okay, whether you are a young person or a person who is young at heart, I feel that the sport there are just benefits there which we, 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 we are still exploring, obviously. Okay. Socially, as I mentioned, so, social-wise, um, when we talk about our social equity, our, our health in terms of meeting friends and family or making new friends, but potentially, okay. mountain biking is a great, um, I think it's a great equalizer. Uh, we, in, in Singapore especially, we have a very strong mountain bike community. Um, we're always willing to help each other on the trails. Um, mountain bikers, how many times have you passed by somebody or you, somebody has passed by you and they ask you whether, whether you're okay? 
Has that happened to you, mountain bikers, before? When you're stopped at the trail for whatever reason, like you stop to check your phone, you stop to take a pee, or to, or to take a picture, and then somebody passed by you and they say, are you okay? And there's nothing wrong with you, you know, physically there's nothing wrong with you, or your bike. But people I find who are mountain bike, they seem to want to stop and help or ask their fellow mountain bikers, are you okay? I think this is something which is not really present in, in, in many sports. Okay, but somehow mountain bikers, you can turn to a left and right of a fellow mountain biker later on when this talk is end and ask them, like, really, is this true? And they will, agree, they will, they will say the same thing I'm telling you right now. Okay, people who are mountain bikers are generally very friendly and they look out for each other. Okay, I want to talk about the environmental benefits. When I talk about, oh, I, I feel that in Singapore, people have a very, have a very weird relationship with the environment. Okay, because we spend a lot of our, our whole lives growing up or, or making a living in Singapore, we don't have necessarily have a good connection with the outdoors. I feel that mountain biking brings us back into that. And we actually end up being uh, more socially, uh, more, more aware of, of things like advocacy. Like how, how can I ride more trails? It's always a question like, oh, I want to ride, ride my mountain bike. I want to ride my mountain bike more. I want to ride my mountain bike more in a place which feels like not artificial, okay, or not constructed, or not urbanized. You see, you, you, we have that development going on. We always have this conversation in our heads. And when mountain bikers seek, seek out uh, new experiences or to enhance their experiences, they realize that they always become more environmentally aware. So to build environmental awareness in a highly urbanized society like Singapore, I think mountain biking is one of those spots where people actually stop and think like, oh, you know, it's not, I'm not just going back to my HDB flat or going to my office in town uh, for five days a week and then I'm just like sitting there. I, I'm, I have the outdoors to look forward to. Mountain biking is, is, is cool like that. You know, I think it's really cool that that, that we, we, we build environmental consciousness and environmental awareness by simply doing a sport, by realizing that, hey, I need to access more trails. I need to take care of my trails. I need to make sure that other people who are riding are as considerate to me and the natural environment as I am to the other people and my own natural environment. Okay, I, I need to not, I need to not be, be selfish and start littering or skidding or, we, or, or, or participating in wasteful, wasteful activities which are considered wasteful or polluting. Uh, mountain biking has that, has that capital and that ability to inspire people, you know, whether they, they are aware of it or not. And I think that's a cool thing. All right. Um, let's look at how we can actually learn the different ways people learn to mountain bike. Okay, so I'm just showing these three pictures for, for to, to illustrate particularly like, like how the how are the three the, the three main ways. Of course, there are many ways which people learn, and people learn in a, com, in, a com, in different combinations of ways. But visually, you understand that when I talk about visual learning, okay, what I do with my eyes. All right, people usually learn well in a group when they see what other people are doing and then they they imitate them. Or, okay, or, or they, they follow whatever people are doing. So learning, a lot of learning takes place in a group. Okay? Information that comes in to the brain of the mountain biker 
is 80% is visual. About 80%. Okay, the remaining 20% involves feeling, pressure, even hearing, and other senses. Okay, but 80% of your senses that receive information is visual. So I think visually is very, mountain biking is a very visual sport. Okay, uh, it requires good vision. Uh, it requires good decision making based on what you see on the trail. All right. But then some other people don't really learn visually. Some people learn audially. Audially means basically listening to instructions. Like what I tell you, okay, if you, if you listen to it, like, oh, okay, this is how it looks like. And then you will go and basically follow the instructions. Step A, step B, step C. Okay. Kinesthetically. So kinesthetic is a very long word. It simply means people who are able to learn best when they actually do the activity. Okay. They try themselves. Okay, the so-called trial and error. I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. I just think that kinesthetic learning is for those people who are very gung-ho and, and, and it's awesome. Some people need to see before they actually try. Some people need to listen to instructions before they actually try something. And some people just try. They go straight to trying. Okay, some people learn based on a combination of all these three things, one or, uh, one or more of these three things. Um, what I find when I teach mountain biking as an instructor, as a coach, um, is I, I try to re make it relatable to them. They must always have context when you are doing something new or you're doing something challenging for the first time. So I find that the best, not, not say the best people, but there, there different thing, there's different things, right? Like people, people always have, uh, there must always be context when you are trying to teach, teach someone. Okay, people have previous experiences, People have previous memories about certain things, whether they are positive memories or bad memories. My job as an instructor, as a coach, is to tell people, is to try to steer people in the right direction and to try to, to elicit a, a positive experience where they are willing to, to actually learn something. So what I find works for me best is when I make it relatable. If my client is, has experience as a skier, or snowboards. That means they like to, they like, they, they've gone skiing or snowboarding before. They are one of the best clients to teach because you're actually using the same terms, terminology when you're describing like how to corner, how to shift your weight and so on. Okay. If I find out that my client usually is uh, more well-to-do clients and especially females, have they done any like horseback riding? Same thing. Uh, people who do like equestrian sports, they are also really easy to teach. Okay, for guys, the, the one of the one I always try to make it relatable to them. So like I will show them like, okay, this is where you need to put pressure. This is where you need to steer. This is where you need to do certain things which are relatable to directing how a horse moves or how a snowboard moves. Okay, if you are a younger person. If you have a, if you ever done skateboarding or scootering or inline skating, the same thing applies. Okay, for the guys. Okay, a lot of guys who, who, who take part in motor uh, in in who have a motorcycle license or who enjoy like like uh who, who drive basically who maybe do stuff like like motocross or or rally car driving. They are also some of the easiest to teach. Not because. Not because they are, they are faster or more skilled or more dexterous. It's because I can actually take something and contextualize it for them and teach them that, hey, the same way you steer your car, the same way you, you steer your motocross bike, you should also be doing this, 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 and, and put it in the, in the realm of, of um, mountain biking. All right? Put it in the context of mountain biking. 
Okay, when I when people ask me, Wilson, how how hard is it to teach mountain biking? And I say, like, well, how easy it is to learn mountain biking. Why would you want to 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 be coach? I'll say that mountain biking is 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 a very skills intensive sport. Okay, but these skills are easily picked up. You know, it, it doesn't take much. You just need to know how to to balance on two wheels with a bike, and that's your start. That's a starting point. Okay, but at the same time. Why would people want to hire a tennis coach, okay, to get better at tennis? Why would people want to hire a golf instructor, okay, when they go to the country club? Same idea, okay. Why would people want to make sure that they receive instruction from a scuba diving instructor or a rock climbing instructor? These are the same things, okay. These are all dynamic, skills-intensive sports activities where, you know, rather than just blindly. Feeling and doing like trial and error, uh, instructor is just there to help you get that little bit more out of it. Okay, but enough about me. I'm not. I'm not here to sell you on the idea of getting instruction. I'm here to sell you on the idea of why you should pick up mountain biking. Okay, I'm just saying that it's really it's easier than you imagine to actually pick up mountain biking based on or on the the different styles of learning. And maybe you already know how you have how you learn. You might already know that you learn things in a particular way. Okay, I'm just saying that I'm just trying to contextualize it for people who mountain bike or for people who want to learn the mountain bike. Okay, all right. So let's go to the next slide. Um, growing the sport of mountain biking in Singapore, I feel that um, this there are there are many ways about how we can actually grow the sport. I mean, for me, I've been in the industry for a while, and I feel that generally people in Singapore, as they are able to To, to ride and ride more, and more people and more and more people are able to ride. They don't. They don't just want to restrict themselves to local trails. A lot of them, they actually want to go overseas and ride. And I think that's a great way for the person as individual to 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 expand their 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 knowledge. Of that hey, instead of riding locally all the time, I need to be able to go to start with Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand. You know, all these three countries, which are neighboring countries, have really good trail systems. And uh, uh, infrastructure to support riding as well. Okay, going as a mount, going to new places as a mountain bike tourist is one of the best ways to grow as an individual. And of course, you can do it as a group as well. All right. I feel that learning, stay. If you are, if you are, if traveling is not your thing, traveling with a bike is not your thing. Within Singapore itself, I feel that there's a lot of avenues for growth. I feel that, for example, this picture here shows. Um, Students from UWC who are actually taking a guided uh, mountain bike ride uh, with with myself and a few of their teachers. I feel that riding locally, there are many ways you can explore, and there are still lots of trails um, in, in Singapore which are worth exploring. Okay, I think going with somebody who is more experienced really does help. Um, going in a group is definitely a safe thing to do. Okay, definitely um, in in certain in 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 certain scenarios. Um, for the purposes of safety and and reliability and being able to help each other, going in a group really does make sense. And, and in terms of like how 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 can what other ways can people grow as as a as a as a person as somebody who rides recreationally, okay, is to actually potentially take up riding in a competitive environment. So joining a race, even a very fun race. I feel that nowadays uh, we 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 are generally more. Receptive to the idea of racing and not being stressed about it because a lot of racers, especially good race people who organize good races, 
they were organized, had to have categories for the top riders, and then have a separate category for other riders who are new to the sport. You know, they might do less laps or have less time on the course, spend less time on the course, or may have an easier course compared to the, the elite riders who have a much more difficult version of the same course on the same day. Um, consider joining an event if you are already a mountain biker, just because there's always something for you that will fit you. Whether, regardless of your gender, okay, there's male and female categories. Regardless of your age, think about it. Now they have age categories, where every 10 years, let's say 20 to 29, 30 to 39, 40 to 49, and so on, you can compete within people of your same age group as well. Consider that. Okay, you, there's even categories where where, where you might be grouped with the same people like, for example, newbies. If this, if this is your first race, you should be joining this category. Okay, if you race a whole bunch, you should probably not be in the category because you're just going to be, you're just going to uh, uh, spo spoil the fun or spoil the chances of, of, of performing well for, for the newbies. I'm just putting it out there that, that there's many different ways to grow. Um, I'm not going to contextualize it particularly for Singapore because the same thing happens all over the world um, where more and more people are exploring and enjoying the sport to a greater and greater degree. Okay? Um, obviously, we, for myself, in the Singapore context, I find that the sport here can benefit from more involvement uh, with the agencies who are the stakeholders with, uh, in terms of uh, trail access. So where our mountain biking trails go, uh, all of them, uh, a lot of the trails go through like national parks land. Okay, some of them go through SLA land or, and sometimes the LTA is involved as well. Okay, I think that we as a society, we need to be able to uh, 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 make sure that we have access or be aware of our access rights. Be aware of our rights as, as riders. Okay, and if we feel that we are being, we are being infringed upon for some reason, um, you know, as a community, we should, we can and should be able to, to band together and actually, uh, 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 push for more, for more access, on the maintenance of access, and the maintenance of the trails, per se. I feel that we, sometimes, sometimes mountain bikers get a bad rap because we, we, we feel that, oh, it's a dirty spot, you know, compared to, say, road cycling or, or, or running, or something which doesn't require as much cleaning, per se. Alright, I, I always like to make, I always like to make fun of myself and say, like, like, mountain bikers are very dirty. Okay, but on the same vein, I feel that mountain biking is a very, it's a very, um, it's a very awareness-raising sport. Okay, for the point I mentioned earlier about, about being more environmentally aware, and being more aware of your rights as, uh, as a citizen in this society where it's highly urbanized, but guess what? There's something you can actually do outside of this urban environment, which is mountain biking and so on. Alright? So, without further ado, I have promised and I will deliver. I'm going to keep my, my presentation very short. I've come to the end of my presentation. Okay, these are, these are where you can find me. These are the places where you can find me at. But I really want to leave the rest of the segment to question and answer session. And I, rather than talk about the overall I, the overall concept of mountain biking, I really want to get into the nitty gritty, such as like the specific things about mountain biking, the tactics, okay, things about equipment, about training, about where to ride, new places to ride, what should you be doing, what you shouldn't be doing, 
Um, I've heard all these questions before, but you know, be, be, before I open it up to the floor, I just want to say thank you very much for, for listening to my, my speech thus far. Thank you. All right. So, so yeah, so without, without, without further ado, let's get to questions and we can maybe answer any and all questions, regardless of whether you are a beginner or you have a non-beginner. All right, yes, please. Just raise your hands and you can stand up and you can go ahead here. Anyone? Anyone? No one? <laughs> TikTok? Everybody's on TikTok now. Yeah, yeah, TikTok, man. You do TikTok, yeah. TikTok is the best. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel that, like, um, uh, uh, a lot of people live on, uh, a lot of mountain bike content lives on YouTube. Because, as I mentioned, YouTube is, is amazing. It's, it's a very visual. So, watching mountain bike stuff on YouTube. And, and YouTube, as you know, is, is owned by Google. So the first thing you should do when you go back, if you're not going to ask questions now, go back and you're going to like, oh, I should have asked, I should have asked Wilson this question. You know who you can ask or not? Very simple. You just go to this website. It's called google.com. Uh, you can ask, you can ask google.com and they will ask you. And a lot of times google.com will direct you to youtube.com. And from youtube.com, you can actually see a whole host of, uh, mountain bike specific content. Okay. Um, a lot of people I find in Singapore, they, they, they skew towards face, Facebook and Instagram uh, for mountain bike related stuff. So there are Facebook groups, uh, Facebook community is very strong for mountain biking in Singapore. Um, Instagram, I'm not sure if people follow Instagram a lot now, but I feel that on Instagram, uh, a lot of it is just pictures and, and some video. Okay, but actual discussion, actual discourse on, on um uh, it's mostly like Facebook groups and stuff which, which, which generate the most buzz. Yeah. Yeah. You can call me or text me as well. This is, this is me. Alright. Yeah. Uh, I have a website. Go ahead and, go ahead, go ahead and check out the website. And my emails, my email is somewhere in there as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so exactly. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's a great question. So the reason why I, 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 I'm currently focusing on two countries, okay, Nepal and Australia for two very different reasons. They seem similar, they, they, they had both activities as mountain biking, but for very, very different reasons. Okay, I'll talk about Nepal first. I just came here from Nepal, uh, about 10 days ago. I was there to organize a race called the Yakru. Uh, I was also there to guide, uh, the participants of the Yakru as, uh, especially the Annapurna uh, region, Annapurna circuit region. I feel that Nepal is like the Wild West. That's like boating cool down there. Okay, it's really like you want to ride, go and ride. As long as you don't run over, you don't run over a tourist or a trekker, or you don't get run over by a yak, you're going to be okay. All right, you can actually have trail access there is very very easy. The infrastructure there is tough. Nepal, is, Nepal is one of the poorest countries in South Asia. Um, the, Nepal is affected a lot by the earthquake of 2015 as well. Um, but at the same time, I feel Nepal is pretty much the Switzerland of Asia. People will spend like upwards of $5,000, $6,000, for, for 10 days, 11 days in Switzerland. Okay. They can do that for half the price and spend more time in Nepal. And you get much bigger mountains as well. 
Okay, Nepal is home to some of the highest mountains in the world, like 7,000, 8,000 meter mountains. We were at Annapurna, where the Annapurna circuit, we're in the shadow of mountains which are like 7,000, 8,000 meters, conducting our race, finding new trails. Uh, and these are the same trails which I guide people on. All right, it takes two, two and a half days to get up to the mountains. And I think Nepal is unique because it is a high altitude environment, very unique, but at the same time, very reachable. We didn't reach for Singapore. It's only a five and a half hour direct flight from Singapore. To Kathmandu, yeah. To Kathmandu, yeah. And Kathmandu, you are either taking domestic flights or you're taking like a, a four-wheel drive right into the mountains. Uh, potentially Pokhara. Pokhara is where you are flying to. Uh, but Annapurna circuit region and the Manang region, we usually go the other way and we come up uh, via a four-wheel drive. So it's like a two, it's like a two-day, it's like a two-day drive. Uh, the other way will be going via Pokhara and then going up, flying up to Johnson. So you can fly and fly, but it's like, it's like two domestic flights. It's either two domestic flights or two days of driving. So when people ask me, oh, is driving very strong or not? Like, why, why do I want to drive, spend two days in a four-wheel drive and then start to ride only after two days? I say, actually, you need the two days to get up to altitude because it takes about 48 to 72 hours for somebody who lives at sea level, which is all of us, right? All of us who live in sea, at sea level, to acclimatize to the altitude where you're actually seeing the most beautiful mountains, 3,000, 3,500 meters above sea level. And the tour, the places where we conduct the tours and the race is um, about 4,000, 4,300. This particular picture was taken at uh, above 4,200 meters. And I'm not, I'm not riding the bike at this point. I'm just walking in the bike because it's much easier, all right, because of the thin air. People need to adapt to thin air. And just to, to your point, sir, about, about why, why Nepal, why Nepal? Because Nepal is really, uh, I would say, a lot of potential for development for the mountain bike industry there. Uh, most tours, they go to, uh, Johnson, the lower Mustang region, via Pokhara. Okay. I think that this area, the Annapurna circuit region, is, it has more trails. It receives higher rainfall. That means there's more trees and greenery there. And generally, I would say it's, it's more exciting over there. Yeah, there's more potential to be developed uh, in the in the in the Manang region rather than uh, the lower Mustang region. So Australia, specifically the state of Tasmania, is where my I'm I'm heavily betting on. I really bet heavily on on going to Tasmania. So in three days' time, I'm leading a tour group to Tasmania. We'll be spending uh, a week there riding. Uh, and Tasmania is interesting. Tasmania, Australia, is one of those places where the, gov the state government is just throwing money at, at mountain biking. They're just throwing money at, at, at the spot. They're building new trails. Millions of dollars has gone into building of new trails over the past four or five years. And they're planning to build more trails over there. Uh, the group I'm taking, five of, five, of, five of my clients and myself, we will be one of the first, first groups in Asia to be riding a brand new trail um, that goes from the interior, the bushland, 42 kilometers out. And, ends, and the trail ends on the seaside by a beach. Okay, this trail is called, this, this trail is called Blue Tier to, uh, to Bay of Fires. Okay, some of you may have heard of the name Bay of Fires. It's a beautiful region of uh, northeast uh, Tasmania. And, and the state government has decided that, okay, we really developed the town of Derby, which is a bit further inland. We want to throw a bit more money and then develop this new town called St. Helens, which is part of the Bay of Fires region. Build new trail networks, build this trail which goes from inland all the way out, so people have various options. They can either stay in St. Helens or do a point-to-point -point ride again. 
So I think there's a lot of potential, uh, particularly in this state. Um, other states of Tasmania, uh, other states of Australia, compared to Tasmania, not not so much uh, coordinated development and promotion of the sport at a tourist slash international level. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I I really enjoy guiding. Um, uh, back back to the main the main question. I really enjoy guiding because guiding is a, guiding clients is a way of showing people who from Singapore that hey, there's new places to ride, there's cool places to ride your bike other than doing round and round Bukit Timah or round and or, or round and round uh, Bukit Panjang. You know? Yeah. And yeah. You could do a trip. Why not? <laughs> yeah, any any more questions please, yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. So, 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 sorry to your your question. I understand it. It's like you're you're figuring out when do you when were you you're asking me like how do I teach and where at what point do I I as a teacher or instructor can access can assess that okay this person is has graduated yeah. to the point where the, this person is safe to ride off road. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. So my question, to, my, my answer to that question is very simple. I think that mountain biking is a never-ending uh, learning process. And you always have to start from the fundamentals. Like fundamentals are really, really important. When I teach riders who are not, who call themselves non-beginners, or say, that, oh, I'm an intermediate rider, or oh, I'm an advanced rider. All I need to do is to show them, okay, can you show me your fundamentals? Okay, and then some of them, they will perform to some level of, 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 of riding proficiency. And some of them may not even be aware that they have a problem with their fundamentals. And it's my job to say, okay, look, I know you call yourself an advanced rider, but please make sure that you can fix your fundamentals first. You have bad habits. You do this. You do that. You need, you, you are not, you're not looking in the correct spot. Okay, you have certain unresolved fears from either a previous accident or a bad experience which causes you to ride in a particular way. And I say, look, I'm, te I'm teaching you these things not because I'm making fun of you as an advanced, supposedly advanced rider. I'm teaching you these things because these are the same things which a novice rider or beginner rider would receive from me if they're doing the same thing. And it all comes down to your fundamentals. But how strong are your fundamentals? If you are in a very fatigued state, like tired, you had a long ride, or you, are, or you are doing something which is very new and intimidating, people always fall back what they're familiar with. So if I can fall back to very strong fundamentals, I have very little to worry about as an instructor who sends their clients off after just one lesson or two lessons or three lessons. I say, okay, as long as your fundamentals are good and you're practicing your fundamentals in the correct way, 
I don't really care what you do after you receive your fundamentals. You can go on. You might never come back to me for another follow-up class again. It doesn't matter. I'm very happy for you as a rider to go on and develop. And a lot of my clients do that. You know, like I would say like 70-80% of my clients, they just take one lesson and then after that, boom, I never see them again. But I always see them on the trail. I, 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 that's, that's incorrect. I'm lying. Because the mountain bike community is so small, I always see them on the trails. Like my, my former clients, whatever. They say, hey, hi, hi, hi. Let's, how, how's the riding going? And you really see the development. Like, wow, this person, although I taught this person one year, two years ago, now this person is riding at a, at a particular level. You know, and, and, and the way I teach um, beginners, to your point, the way I teach people and the way I assess people is, is like that. Okay? Can the person reliably and consistently perform the fundamentals or not? Can they do it slowly first before they can do it fast? Can they do it on gentle terrain before they start doing it on a steeper terrain? Can they do it on small bumps before they start doing bigger bumps? Then it's all just a matter of progression from that point. You know? So I wouldn't say that a rider necessarily graduates. I, just, I like to think of it in terms of has, is the rider confident with their level of fundamentals and can they take it away without the instructor present, without the teacher present? Because my job is very simple. My job is to put myself out of work. If I spend my whole career teaching the same person for the, every two weeks or every one week, that means I'm not doing my job as an instructor. I would rather see this person for one or two times and then bye, go and do your own thing. Please don't come back. <laughs> okay, yeah. That means I, I, I've done, I would think I would have done a better job if, I did, if that happened to me instead. I, mean, I, don't need, I don't need the client's money or, repeat, or repeated customership. You know, if I can execute on, in one or two lessons, I'm even happier. Yeah, thank you. That's a good, that was a good question, yeah. Yes. Yeah. How, how comfortable do you want to be, sir? When you're riding a bike. So I mean, it's like, it didn't matter because it's a suspension. I always look at it from, from, from three points of view. Okay, three things I, look, I, I consider. The person's budget, first of all. Can, is it in their budget to afford a full suspension bike? Okay. A bike with only front suspension or even no suspension is always cheaper. Okay, because there's, there's, if, if you, if you say, if you, if you compare front suspension to full suspension, full suspension requires a rear shock. So that is in itself is expensive already. Okay, a cheaper bike only has front suspension. Okay, secondly, I look at the, the terrain itself. Is there a requirement to have full is there a requirement to, to, to have a, a full suspension bike? Okay, if the person is riding very demanding trails, okay, if they want to race, they might, the, what might be a luxury as a recreational rider might become a requirement as a competitive rider. Okay? Um, just because, you know, you're, you're going to be left behind or you're going to come up short if, if, if you are, if you are with a bike without any rear suspension. For example, alright? Third thing, the rider's perceived level of enjoyment. Do you enjoy the challenge of riding with just front suspension, or do you enjoy it more when you're riding with full suspension? Okay, I always come down to these three things. Uh, um, usually, the, 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 the customer's final decision about what bike to buy is based on, 
predicated on these three things. Yeah, and and I, there's no, I wouldn't make any particular recommendations, but you have to try before you buy. I think you should try full suspension bikes and try hardtail bikes side by side, uh, ideally, and then come to your own decision at that point. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, I feel that full sus uh, like for me, for I I can cite personal experience. I rode on a on a hard so so a bike with only full front suspension but no rear suspension is called a hard tail. Okay, the tail is hard. The rear is hard because there's no suspension. So I rode on a hard tail for nine years. Nine years before I swap to a full suspension bike. Okay. And now I'm spoiled. I'm I'm I'm, I'm terrible. My next bike, I, I'm not gonna get a, I'm not gonna get a hard tail again, probably, unless I, I got a budget for it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, if I if I if I had the money for more than one bike, yes. Will 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 there be a budget for a hard tail? Probably. Will it be my first bike? I don't think so. Will it be my second bike? I don't think so. Will it be my number three bike? Maybe. Why I say maybe is because a hard tail, for all for 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 all that it is for all that. All the limitations it has, it's a very good skills builder. I rode a hardtail for nine years and I built a very, very deep well of skills based on just a hardtail. Then when I went to suspension bike, I felt like, wow, this is like riding on a sofa, basically. Yeah. But if you only have a budget, if you only have a budget for a hardtail bike, use a, get a hardtail bike. It's more worth it to spend on a hardtail bike, which is lighter can give you better components for the price and gives you a better learning curve. It doesn't become a crutch. If your first bike is a full suspension bike, I can tell you straight away it's going to be a crutch. It's going to be something you rely on. And then when somebody throws you a, a, a hardtail bike, either because they are, you, you went overseas and want to rent a bike or you're borrowing a bike, you're going to go, wow, this is really hard. <laughs> a hardtail is really hard to ride, okay? which is completely not the case. Okay, it's not that so much that there are different techniques to ride, it's just that, you know, whether one bike is more forgiving, full suspension, or one is, not say less forgiving, but it tells you, it will tell you when you're starting to make mistakes with your technique, which is a hard deal. And for learning, I'd rather have a stricter teacher, you know, when it comes to learning. You know, as, as an instructor, I see this a lot, or I get asked this question a lot, yeah. Yeah, good question. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Strength work. You go to the gym. You have to go to the gym a lot. Yeah. Like I feel that. Have you got full mobility? Yeah. You a bit of raise your raise your house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. I think that's great. I feel that. So mountain biking, as I come back to the physical development part, uh, it's a full body exercise. You need to be able to hold your upper body up. You need to, be able to take the impact. So going to the gym is really important, sir. I feel that uh, if you just ride right and right and not do any off the bike work or off the bike conditioning, you are selling yourself short. Okay, I don't care whether you have a competitive rider who takes part in races all the time or you are just a recreational rider who rides once a week for fun with your friends. Okay, you need to be able to, to be an all-rounded person. Okay, don't think about yourself as a rider. Think of yourself as a person, a human being who is doing like very functional movements. You want to be able to hold yourself up, okay, and not 
have the bike ride you. You are the one who is riding the bike. Okay, you need to be able to stay in control. Um, when people ask me like, oh, well, like Wilson, I'm a very, very strong, a very capable road cyclist. You can see that, wow, their legs are very well developed, very nice. And I said, oh, so, so how's your, how's your off-road riding? Then you realize that, wow, they're very shaky when they go off-road. And they realize, ah, you see, that's the problem. You need to, you need to be a more well-rounded uh, athlete. You know, yeah, but it's a good question. I think like starting to do like things like push-ups, pull-ups, Okay, these are the basic exercises. You know, definitely work on your core, like your mid trunk area and your your back, your lower back, and your and your your abs are really good good things to work on as well. Um, think about isometric exercise. That means like saying like like planking in place. So planking may seem like you're doing nothing, but actually it's it's much better because you need a very stable upper body. So having stability here is very is the next step. Okay, you already have range of motion. So as far as I'm concerned, you're not injured anymore. Okay, it's just the next step, being stable, being strong, and then being coordinated. So you put what you've got in, in the gym or off the bike into the onto the bike. Yeah, that's a good question, yeah. Yes, next. Who's next? Yeah. Who 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 here who here has a who has tried mountain biking and didn't and figure out they don't like it or they're like oh I'm, I'm terrible at it let's let's not do mountain biking again anyone so who here has hasn't tried mountain biking yet oh okay good all right yeah <laughs> okay who here has somebody in the family who's who does mountain biking but they haven't done mountain biking yet yeah oh okay Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. This is a very common problem. I, I understand where you're coming from, man. This is called what you know, proximity bias. You cannot stand to learn anything from your relative, your mother, your father, your, your brother, your boyfriend or girlfriend. But if somebody you pay money to, and then you will learn from them. Somehow, I have no, I have no, I have no idea how that works. You know, but it happens, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's true. It's, it's crazy, but it's proximity bias because you, 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 you just can't stand that person because you, you, you see their face every day for some reason, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I, I totally get it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something which I always, I always get told this some version of this story by my clients. You know, a lot of my female clients are like that. Yeah, they, they don't understand what's, what's wrong, but they, they somehow, yeah, it somehow works out when they're instructed. Yes. Wow, I'm not sure about that. That's a, that's a, that's, you, you came in too hard, man. Like, that's, 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 that's a big, that's a big ask. Uh, I want to say no. I want to say no, but, but, but I do want you to, to go and find out, like, the, 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 how, how you learn. I want you to find out next time you're on the trail, like, where your weak your weak your weak points are, you know some. Of, yeah, like, like jumps jumps is a, jumping is an advanced skill for sure. Yeah, I will do like normal trail riding first, then I will progress the person to drops, and then only after they can do both these things properly, trail riding and drops, then I will progress to jumps. Yeah, and there are not many good places in Singapore to do jumps. Trust me. Yeah. 
Cambridge is one of the be- better places. Yeah. Gali Batu is the jumps there are weird. I have no idea. I've no, I've, I have no idea. Have you seen the jumps there now? But they look they look dodgy, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Look, I I was just at Cambridge this morning, so I went. I rode there a bit. And I think yeah, the, the, those are quite legit jumps. You know, and uh, Cambridge is, is very easy access over there. The only problem with Cambridge is that you've got to climb that hill and you reach the bottom. You've got to climb back up again, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I feel that riders generally, like I mentioned before about people stopping to, to ask, are you okay? I think they're very, very helpful. You know, I feel that people, uh, you, you, I mean, not, not to say anything bad about, about, about road cyclists. But road, when you, when somebody, when you see a road cyclist stop at the side of the road repairing their tire because they burst their tube, right? You, you seldom see, they are, they are, you seldom see a fellow road cyclist stop and purposely help them. Yeah, oh, I gotta keep riding. I gotta keep my heart rate up. Then they continue riding and they pretend they didn't see the person who needs help. And, and if I may say this, I'll venture to say this, like, it's really crazy. But a lot of riders in Singapore, both road and mountain bike, they don't carry spare parts. They don't carry, they don't carry a pump, they don't carry a spare tube. They just think that, oh, if I just puncture, I just walk out and take a, take a taxi home. Okay. Resilience people, I think you need to be more resilient as a, as a rider. So I always tell my clients, look, you already bought the bike, you already bought your helmet. The next thing you need to buy is the, 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 the tools and the spare, the spares and the knowledge. You need to acquire the knowledge on how to use these things. Yeah. Because we are very spoiled, lah. Because, look, here's a, here's a bad thing and a good thing about Singapore. It's very easy to get to the trail. I can, from, from here, where from here, like right here, Tanjong Ru, I can drive 20 minutes to Kenridge, 25 minutes to Bukit Timah, 30 minutes to Pulau, to Changi and take a boat across to Pulau Bin. All these places are mountain bike areas. In other countries, people will drive two, three, four hours to get to the right trails. Okay, whether you live in the UK, in Australia, um, don't talk about Nepal, uh. Nepal, you're, you're gonna drive for like, like, like two days, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I'm joking, I'm joking, yeah. But the fact is that, uh, uh, Singaporean riders, they don't know how good they have it here. Yeah. We have very, very good, good trail access down here. Yeah. And because of that, people, oh, I, something wrong, Bukit Timah, I just push out, go to the Kopitiam and wait for a taxi, yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 that's usually the case, yeah. So I think it's, that's, that's, that's funny, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's the same for road riders also. Road riders, if I puncture, if I puncture at Tanamera Coast Road, uh, it's okay, I'll just flag a taxi or hail a, hail a grab and come back, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just interesting. I think, I think it's interesting. It's nothing, nothing bad about it. It's just, it's just I feel that, you know, more people should be riding and, yeah, taking advantage of our transport network. The fact that we are a very small island, but we have very, very good trails, even within a small island, yeah. Yeah. Oh, on that on that note, while we are a very small island, right? You know that in Singapore we have the high, very very high density of 
shops which sell bicycles. Yeah, for our population size, for our our land area, we have the very very high concentration of shops which sell bikes, any kind of bike, mountain bike or road bike. Yeah, so I think it's 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 a great place to go shopping in, in Singapore for 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 bikes. Yeah, generally. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's good? What 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 else is good about bikes? They're more versatile than than scooters and e-scooters. You can go anywhere. They're the king of they're the king of the PCN and the the footpath and the road as well. And if you buy a mountain bike, you can go off road as well. So really, I feel there's a lot of you know. I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bullshitting when I say there's a lot of upside. There's a lot of benefits to riding a mountain bike. Yes. Oh, okay. So off the record, right? Off the record, like if if like I ride a, I ride a handlebar with 740 millimeters, which is 40 millimeters too long, than the, the the stated 700 millimeter rule. So as long as you are riding on the footpath, but not breaking any other laws. So if I ride on the footpath and go at 10 km and below, and I'm not riding recklessly and running over small children, okay? If somebody Somebody looks at me like an enforcement officer. They see that I am obeying all these rules, but I happen to have a bar which looks like it might be longer than 700. They're not going to catch me. If I look like if I have a bar which looks like it could be longer than 700, and I'm doing all the stupid thing, things, I'm riding recklessly, I'm running over small children, I'm pulling wheelies where I shouldn't be. Uh, then they will book you for the the, the the reckless riding, and they will book you for the the bar, the bar as well. The fact, you know what's my other job? Apart from what I just mentioned at the start, I also teach safe riding, uh, safe riding program to, to kids in school. So I work, I actually work for the, I actually work for the government indirectly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I'm very familiar with all the rules. Yeah. yeah. I work for the LTA uh, as a contractor where we go to schools and we teach primary, secondary school kids, and occasionally we teach like community center and corporate groups as well. Uh, how to do things like, very, very simple, uh, how to wear a helmet and click. How to stay on the left side of the PCN and then overtake on the right. Uh, the three steps of crossing a zebra crossing. Okay, Stop, look left and right, look out for cars, and then you cross. We're teaching kids as young as six years old to do this. Yeah, um, uh, We teach on scooters, but we also teach on bikes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, any other questions? That's okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's okay, that's cool. That's cool, yeah, yeah. I, the, the first part was just talking about myself, basically, yeah. I didn't miss much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need to find, you need to find somebody, you need to find your, your, your gang. You need to, like, find your community. Lionel. Oh, I know, I know Lionel, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well... You see, like the thing about riding with friends is that they can be your best teachers or they can be your some of the worst influencers in you. Yeah, like like what what I find with people is that somebody in their friend group or the group of friends is usually like the like the the, the chief, you no, know, like the the the, the head the, the, of of that group. Okay, and sometimes they are passing around information, and because they're very loud. The information might not be the best information, but everybody listens to that person because he sounds like he's authoritative or whatever. Okay, um, people think I am loud. Okay, but I'm really I'm I'm just reflecting. I'm just 
sharing with you guys what I've seen with my own eyes as, as somebody who is a trained professional. I have certifications um, in mountain bike guiding from the UK. I've got certifications from Canada and there's Australia in, in teaching. And I think most importantly, I have um, a wilderness first aid certification as well, which has to be renewed every two years. So working in, a, working in an outdoor environment as an instructor, as a, as a teacher, as a guide, um, I feel that the industry, especially in Asia, it needs to be, it needs to be, um, there needs to be some recognition for certifications that are put, are put out in other countries where the mountain bike industry is very well developed. And that's a whole industry. Like for example, like, I, like going to Canada this summer, I went for a level two course and you also see that over there, the bike parks, the bike park managers, the staff, everybody is, is in on it. They really need, they really see getting the qualification and being able to practice regularly what they learn as being something that is very legitimate. Um, for me, I'm very blessed because coming, to, coming back to Singapore with all these qualifications on paper, which look really good, I don't really care much for them. I, like, I just like to, as I mentioned right at the start, I'm an operator. I really like to operate. I really like to share with people like what's, what, what I feel is important. And I like to experiment and, and learn from my own clients. Because as I teach, I'm also learning. The best way to learn something is to teach it. Okay, I'm not sure if any of you who are, who, who here are instructors or coaches? Anyone? Any, any sport, any sport, any, anything. You could be teaching, you could be a teacher, teacher, you could be a coach, you could be like teaching like cooking or flower arrangement or computer sciences or whatever. If you are teaching, yes, exactly. Thank you, thank you very much. So if you, if you are a teacher and you know that people struggle with understanding certain things or whatever, you, and you take the time to actually break down what you want to convey, to communicate to them, you realize somewhere along the way that you are also learning. It's like, oh, okay. This person understands it like that. I understand it like that. I need to, I need to transfer my way of understanding over and imprint it onto my students' way of understanding. And hopefully, they can see my point of view. So communication is really key. I feel that uh, one of the big things about learning or any, any skill, uh, any ability, is, is how, well you, how well you get communicated to and how well you reciprocate and communicate, give your feedback to your teacher or your instructor or whatever. Okay, to know that, to tell them that they are either doing a really good job or they're doing a terrible job. Either way, it works both ways. Yeah. Okay, but thanks, yeah, thanks for that, yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah, so the question is like, what if I'm, if I'm going to buy a new mountain bike, what, what, what are the things to look out for what, where, with regards to the, the, the bike, okay? So definitely look at the, the, the brand is very important, I feel. Like, like is, is the brand reputable? Okay, I feel that uh, how do you find out about the reputability of a brand, any brand? Go and ask Mr. Google again, okay? Your research has to be done online and it, the, the internet is all free, free, it's free, peer-based research. Okay, if you can read the, if you read a review on a magazine, like on there are a lot of online mountain bike magazines, 
which publish reviews of their product. If you read a review down there, it's most probably biased. Don't read that review. Or read it and then put it on site. Go and read up forums. Go and join like Facebook community groups and read up, type in a search like blah, 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 this frame, this year model, this color, this size. Look through all the comments and see whether there are any red flags that come up. Frame breakages, frame cracks, the components is not good. Okay, this needs to be better, that needs to be better. It doesn't need to be the entire part, it could be one particular part, like I want to change it to, I want to change the new set of tires. What do people say about this set of tires? You know, asking people, if you have people in the same, in the same group you ride with, chances are they ride the same trails that you, you are right, you are riding, and chances are they will, they will want to use similar equipment. Ask them whether there's any problem with that, their equipment or not. Yeah. Um, I think reliability is important in Singapore. It's a very humid environment down here. Um, and sometimes if you live next to the seaside or whatever, or close to the sea, the corrosion is also uh, a problem. Um, you need to be able to, for, for mountain bike stuff, right, especially, I always tell people, like, compared to road cycling, mountain bike may seem cheaper, but mountain bike, once you spend, uh, once you buy the bike, uh, it's like a black hole. The money will just keep disappearing <laughs> into the black hole. Mountain uh, road bike, you just buy the bike, it might be more expensive, but then it just stays there. You only need to replace things like the, re the replacement rate for all the expendable items, chain, tires, brake pads, grips, is much lower compared to mountain bike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah, I think talking to a, to a, the salesperson, the sales representative in the shop is the most is 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 a good starting point. Yeah, um, I feel that the, nowadays the geometry of the bike is is much improved. So geometry, I'm talking chiefly about like when you stand over the bike, okay, whether whether the the top tube is low enough that you can stand up and put both your feet on left and on left and right without without tiptoeing. Okay, secondly, the geometry of the bike goes as far as like the handlebar width. Okay, again a favorite topic. Okay. And and whether it's reaching very far or very near to you. So all this is determined by, by sizing. And everybody's proportions are different. Um, if 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 you are if you have a young person and you're still growing, you might need to size up so that you will grow into the bike. For example, okay, if you're already an adult, you need to consider things like your mobility. Okay, especially if you have, a, if you have an older adult, you know, can you bend and touch your toes? Okay, with your with your legs straight, you know, can you can you twist left and right? You, are you carrying any injury? Okay, the fitting of the bike will then be determined by you know like how flexible you are, uh, how whether your injury is going to affect you or not. Okay, and the type of riding you do. Okay, like are you just going to be riding very mild trails? You might just need a hardtail, which can be a bit smaller. If you're riding very technical terrain, you might need a longer bike, which is more stable, and you might need a geometry which is more suited. Okay, you might even need like a dropper seat post, for example. Yeah. Okay. By the way, a dropper seat post. Who who knows what a drop? Who doesn't know what a dropper seat post is? The word dropper seat post. Okay, basically it's a seat. You, you, you sit on a, on, a, on a seat, right, on a bike, 
Okay, and then the seat is attached to a, a, a vertical thing called a seat, a seat post. A dropper seat post is the, is the best invention in the past, I would say, the past five years for, 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 for mountain biking. Okay, you press a button and the seat goes down. You sit down on the seat and the seat goes down. Then when you stand up again, suddenly you have a lot of space between your, your backside and the seat. Then you press the same button again, the seat, push, the seat comes up back towards you. And then you can sit down again. Now, hands down, the best invention in the past five years for mountain biking. And it's only gotten better because the reliability of the seat posts, the technology and, and so on is, is better and better, yeah. <laughs> because it fundamentally changes the way you ride. You are no longer just trying to tiptoe and trying to stay out of the way of the seat and having, not having the seat hit you in the crotch. So now the thing is out of the way and you can maneuver the bike much more. You can move the bike left and right. Yeah, if you open up your knees like that, so you look like a, a bow-legged, a bow-legged person, the bike can move like that. Whereas previously, if your seat is all the way up there, you cannot move. You're like, uh, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying that, that, I'm just, I'm just using a bit of hyperbole, but I, I, I think a lot of mountain bikers who ride, they will agree with me. This is a, this is a truth, yeah. Not all bikes have come to a dropper post, especially if you are looking at like budget, if the budget is below like say $800, it probably doesn't come with a dropper post. But if you want to upgrade your bike, right, like straight away, the best and first upgrade you should think of is to install a dropper post. If your, if your bike doesn't come with a dropper post yet, yeah. Yeah, it will fundamentally change the way you ride. Yeah. And the thing is that, the good thing about dropper post is that it works with old bikes, it works with current bikes as well. Yeah, it doesn't need to like a lot of a lot of bikes nowadays. The newest bikes they come with internal, so that the cable is hidden inside the frame. But you can also buy like external external router, so older bikes can still older bikes or bikes without the routing they can still take a dropper a dropper seat post. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. A wireless dropper. A wireless dropper also costs like a thousand dollars. Yeah, it also costs like a thousand dollars. I'm not. The, the thing is that I'm not here to. I'm not here to to sell you stuff which you don't which you don't need. Okay. Is a thousand. Is 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 a thousand dollar dropper going to make you feel like five times five times happier than a two hundred dollar dropper? Probably not. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But is it going to work the same? Yes, it's going to be the same thing. Yeah. But I feel that. Where, where, where people get mixed up with spending, especially in Singapore, right, we have, we have more and more disposable income, right? We want, we want to show off, we want to like, wow, this person has the latest this thing or that thing. We need to keep in mind that we, have to, we need to be very realistic, okay? I want to enjoy the sport, okay, with as little impact uh, on my bank account, firstly, and potentially on the environment as well. Okay, when you think about things which, which cost a lot of money, carbon frames, parts which require lithium-ion batteries, okay, parts, things which are lightly expendable and may not last for very long. Okay, you need to think about the environmental impact. Okay, I'm just going off on a tangent here, but, but mountain biking is about enjoying the outdoors. We don't want to be put ourselves in a position where we are enjoying the outdoors on a machine which costs X amount of money and is impacting the environment negatively, potentially. So that's why you see a lot of companies, some companies doing now, right? Where they, where a lot of companies are manufacturing carbon mountain bike frames, for example, 
they are actually going the other way. They are, they are saying, we're not going to manufacture carbon mountain bike frames, we're actually going to manufacture aluminum only. Aluminum is much more easily recyclable. You see, whereas the carbon, carbon, carbon looks nice, it's much lighter, it looks much more beautiful, but you are looking at a lot of wastage. A lot of the raw product cannot actually be recycled. And the frame itself, when it reaches the end of the shelf life or, or the, of its usage life, it's, it's almost impossible to recycle uh, uh, the, the, the material from carbon. And to make a frame, a new carbon frame, which is of a similar uh, performance or, or standard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. I mean, yeah, like everybody wants to like buy cool stuff. There's a bit of a, there's a bit of a thing in, in Singapore where like, wow, if I want to buy, if I, I want to show off, I got X amount of money bonus come ready. I want to buy a $1,500 wheel set, a $2,000 wheel set. They're willing to spend, they're willing to spend $10,000 on a bike, like a legit mountain bike, but people are not willing to spend $100 to learn how to ride better. So you, are, you end up riding a $10,000 bike, but your, your, your skill is like a $10, $10 skills. So I find that as a mountain, as a mountain bike instructor, like, oh my goodness, that is such a, a waste of the bike. You know, you could be, you could buy a bike for half that amount, but both that potentially be so much better. You know, if you take the time to, to really understand why are you buying the bike, you know, and what are you spending money on. So I would encourage anybody here who is in the market for a bike to be really, very really careful about what they spend on before they actually spend on the bike, whatever. You know, I'm not trying, I'm not saying that you should sign up for a mountain bike skills class straight away. I'm just saying that think about whether the performance advantage in spending a dollars, $1,000, $2,000 more just to feel good, okay, versus, versus the idea of having skills which are reliable, repeatable, and which you can take away. Are you upgrading the, the chassis of the bike or are you upgrading the computer, the pilot of the bike, the rider basically, which is yourself? Okay, I'll take one more question. Anyone? One last question before we close it, wrap it up. Yes. Okay, so for me, when I conduct classes, I, I, I like to do like, at, uh, I like to do like customize. A lot of my clients, like 99% of my clients are like private, private clients. They say like, oh, can I pick a particular date, this, this, this date, this date, this time, this location? And I say, yeah, sure. What do you need to work on, sir, ma'am? Have I ridden a view before? Have I, do I recognize you? Okay, if I've ridden them before, I'll, I'll, I'll know straight away, okay, these are the things you need to work on. Okay, if they haven't ridden them before, I send them like a questionnaire. And I'll ask them the questions like, okay, how confident are you with this, 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 this? And then they can list down all the things that they are confident or not confident with. And then the things that they specifically want to work on. Um, I worked at Pulau Ubin, Bukit Timah, Bukit Panjang, Kent Ridge. Anywhere which is legal to write. Okay, don't ask the, don't ask me about the places which are illegal to write, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Alright. I don't, I don't do, I don't do illegal trails for work. Now ask me, ask me again what I do for fun and I'll give you a different answer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thanks very much, everyone. Thank you for coming for this, for this, uh, this talk. I've been really appreciative and I hope you learned something about the sport and maybe it got you thinking, it gets you thinking about what you want to do. Uh, uh, as a as a rider or as a potential rider going forward. Thanks very much. Thank you.
Hey podcast, thank you for listening to this episode of the Raw Epics Audio Experience. Rate and review this, let me know what you thought. And if you think listening to this is helpful and enjoyable, please share this with your mountain biking friends. It will really make my day. Thank you.